This is Jan Cox, talk number 2,527, recorded May 19th, 2000. Okay, I'll read uh, first what is written here. All living entities are under pressure to stay alive. Just picking up. All living entities are under pressure to stay alive. The ones who think experience it both physically and mentally. Now ponder this. A man under sufficient physical pressure has no notions of enlightenment or waking up. What information does this fact hold? Or consider it this way. Why are the recognized schools devoted to this goal places of limited physical activity with much immobile mental reflection but are never structured along let us say structured around let us say mountain climbing or other such endeavors that require prolonged mental concentration on the physical demands at hand humans do indeed experience two forms of pressure physical and mental both are needed for ordinary men to function in an ordinary way but for the few one of the two is anathema although they do not regularly recognize it for what it is, but rather refer to it as being asleep. From this instant model, you could say that it is nothing more than the normal pressure of being alive against which the few rebel, and yet few within the few ever achieve such a simple, direct view of the matter. Have a cup of water. And we are returned, as always, to this fact taking the thoughts that pass through you to be a you within you confers to this illusionary self a seriousness that an awakened eye sees as provincial. Provisional. Thus is one liberated from unnecessary sleep-inducing stress. Is your mind the same at noon as it is when you first awoke this morning? Is it the same at midnight as it was at noon? Is your mind the same when you're at home alone as it is when you're in a crowd? What does this all mean? One man describes that certain situation thus, quote, Here's what I don't like. When I'm sitting down, I'm sitting down. But when I'm running around, I'm never sitting down. Were it not for the appearance of emotional thoughts, the few would not feel that they are confused and in need of enlightenment. Note that being distracted by the mental pressure of being alive puts you temp temporarily out of sync. You either run faster internally than your circumstances or else slower than the conditions around you. This is another unrecognized effect of the mental pressure that arises from the physical one to simply survive. A truly civilized, thought-centered, sleeping man is always in his own mind, either early or late for everything in the secondary realm. A consistent tension never recognized until you get to the bottom of things rather than being eternally awash in the midst of them. Even the most astute of clothing cannot, while tumbling about in the washing machine, correctly identify their exact location. Remember that Remember that one father's advice to his son, quote, you should get out more often. Away from yourself is the only place from which to initially get a glimpse of what's really going on. But to complete your understanding, you must eventually get away from the very something that apparently got away from you initially. And so we're back to this. It's not just a question of what's going on here. But ultimately question, what is it that is going on in me that is behind my wanting to know what's going on here? Get out more. <laughs> a monk wrote home to his mama from a monastery, quote, They tell me that I'll achieve enlightenment as soon as I can step on my own left foot. With my own left foot. Love, Hubie. And a P.S. from me. It sure is neat how only those less fully awake are fully convinced that they understand fully what being awake is. 
a certain sense of urgency attends that state of distraction despised by the few. The excessive talk in which men routinely engage is one manifestation of this nebulous pressure men feel when their mind is unfocused and out of control. Being relaxed and unhurried is always in order. <laughs> is always in order. The goal eludes. The taunt and frenzied. Note, no matter your circumstances, when your mind is firmly in the here and now, there is never a sense of urgency about anything. To wake up is to be unwound. Trying to get to the bottom of all of this is like trying to follow a thread running through your hand that is a millionth of a millimeter long and which looks like a finger and thumb. It's like a thread running through your hand that you're trying to follow and the thread is a millionth of a millimeter long and it looks like a finger and thumb. <laughs> All right. Question. I hate to get tense about it. Question. If you are physically in one place and your mind in another, where are you? If you can't answer this, you don't get it. If you can't answer this, you don't get it. If you answer this, you're still not seeing what's right before you. Try it again. Ask yourself, if I am here, but my mind is somewhere else, then where am I? Look quickly inside yourself and investigate the matter. Where is my me? Can it be both here and someplace else? If it is someplace else, then who am I at that instant? When you get to the bottom of this, everything else unconfuses itself. And you are freed from man's normal sense of uncertain urgency. When you internally no longer see yourself as both an object and a subject, the pressure is off. When you realize that you are only one thing, the tightness is gone. There's a certain sense of urgency that drives the ordinary lives of men, and which is also the ambiguous annoyance that motivates the few to attempt what they do. Hey, relax. It's wake-up time. To himself, one guy finally noted, I keep myself pretty much knowingly distracted, so as to keep myself from realizing how naturally so I am. See, now I understand that one. And I was afraid that all of you would look blank. And I don't know whether you could be fooling me. Maybe all of you understand it and you don't want to let on. Like what? Doesn't confront me. By the way, I think this is the same man you lost your place this guy noted he says i keep myself pretty much knowingly purposefully willfully distracted so as to keep myself from having to notice how naturally i am anyway by the by i think this is the same man who once said that he suspected that there were two forms of enlightenment being enlightened about everything outside of you and then the bigger one of being enlightened about yourself Headline, the hard question, and the equally pesky answer. What's worse than being asleep? Answer, trying to wake up. And now the really hard part. You're not perfectly conscious if you're still not conscious of consciousness. That is the really hard part. It is natural for a dog to run with other dogs. What is unnatural and potentially enlightening is for a dog to imagine that he has a master who is watching him run. The ultimate execution of enlightenment is in the extinction of the watched 
watcher illusion. The watched slash watcher illusion. It's that same beautiful cosmic joke or illusion. It's the same thing as the accepted fact that people talk to themselves. That's right at the bottom of it again. For a while I tried to point it out to you that the brain, that the only way that consciousness existed, as we call it, is that the brain has the ability to talk and to listen to itself talk. And so thus there seems to be two entities, two operations going on. That's at the bottom of all of this. It's at the bottom of consciousness, and it's in the bottom of people like us, or me, who do not favor the ordinary state of consciousness. I don't know where the hell we get off with this. How about we just, mystics have always just accepted it as the norm, like, or at least the norm for us, that yes, the state of consciousness is not what it could be, what it should be, what I prefer, but what it should be. And no one ever asks a question like, well, that's some nerve. Out of a universe 16 billion light years across, or 16 billion years old, out of all of that, here I stand on this little planet, or on this planet, surveying the consciousness of all of my fellow species of which I'm a part, me and all other mystics, and finding what seems to me to be another wave or the insides of my head to operate in a, in a certain aspect. And then as a corollary, as a natural corollary, then find the way that things naturally are to be quite unacceptable. I never question the matter. Of course, I don't know where a question the matter will get you. <laughs> you just run in tighter and tighter circles. You're just a dog chasing his tail and you think, well, at least now I'm narrowing it down. It's like you may be able to bend a little more sideways than you used to. But you're just tightening the circle. Don't ask me what that means. Headline, potentially perky fact. If you chase a dog long enough and with sufficient unthinking dedication, you'll, forget, you'll eventually forget what you're doing. The condemned prisoner asked the warden, if I don't think about the execution, will I still be dead? And on one planet, there are only two kinds of creatures, the living and the living. They're not conscious there yet. Headline, a mystic's alpha to omega medical news. You're as awake as you feel. And now, mystics, Omega to Alpha medical news. How you feel determines how enlightened you are. To some, this fact also goes under the heading of, I don't like it even a little bit. And one man mused, I've had almost as much fun trying to wake up as I've had at the times when I actually was. And here's an example of a news item about which no even partially enlightened person should have any comment. In other words, this is a prime time for you to look blank to yourself. More info concerning the need to get to the bottom of it. Everyone wants something to hold on to, but with the few holding blindly on to the desire to awaken eventually becomes self-inhibiting. Junior quiz time. Why be distracted, disturbed, and confused when you don't have to be? Answer, because it's natural. It's actually a quite advanced question, but I thought I'd refer to it as elementary just to make you feel good. An inner office big game hunting tip. The rhino of urgency cannot withstand the dart of laughter. I gotta read fast, I'm getting behind here. 
And now a bonus question for extra points. What's wrong in the following statement? A man says, quote, If I had not been so mentally out of control for so much of my life, I would not now know all that I do about being asleep. fact, the saying of the word enlightenment is enlightenment. Or if you want to get technical, that which is responsible for you saying the word enlightenment is enlightenment. What drives the hunger for so-called enlightenment and awakening is from beginning to end the fact that there is one thing that can never be understood. When a fully enlightened man speaks, only he fully understands what he's talking about. Two sons were discussing a certain question. One of them had posed, quote, If a man makes faces, jumps about, waves his arm, and hurls curses at you, what is it that disturbs you, his words or the man himself? And their father was passing by and said, Neither. You're disturbed by the mind. There are two forms of action relevant to man, actions outside himself and actions inside himself. And the few find only one of them to be of personal relevancy. Stage one motto, change all you can and ignore all the rest. Stage two motto, ignore it all. Three examples of sleep. Ordinary men are asleep and don't know it. Routine mystics are asleep and do know it. Real mystics are asleep but no longer have the facility to know that they are. P.S. This unrecognized facility is what is at the very bottom of all of this. Why spontaneity is extolled for the few and why being so is so difficult. When you are wound up, you are uncertain. And uncertainty is the antonym for spontaneity. Even though you may not think of yourself as living with a certain sense of urgency, you normally do. And it has the result of making you feel mentally uncertain and confused, which for the few are synonyms for being asleep. So let's all sing, unwind yourself. It's later than you think. Uh, you know, ordinary people, which would be us, but ordinary people do not sense any purpose to life. They have no purpose in life. Oh! except when axed. And then, to be ordinary, one of the definitions, one of the manifestations of being ordinary and sane is that you will, with scant, a momentary hesitation, give the purpose of life. But uh, you don't have to mind-read ordinary people. All you've got to notice is when you are fully distracted, when all that your consciousness, all that your mental activity amounts to is whatever is automatically running through your brain, the cortex of your brain, during those periods, which is most of everyone's life, during that period, there's no question at all. There's no question in the widest sense of the word. There's no question, no concern about a, quote, purpose to life. Because that's part of what being distracted is. What are you thinking about? That I have got, I have got to, I got to get out of this traffic. I have got to get home probably 10 minutes ago to ever get ready to make it to that important appointment. Or I can't wait till the store opens tomorrow, such and such store so I can go back there and complain about this shoddy merchandise. Whatever it is that your thinking is focused on, that's being held, whatever dog your, whatever car your dog is chasing, maybe even has his teeth locked on the bumper, the rear bumper, 
that eradicates even any possibility of anyone considering any sort of question like, what's the purpose of life? Your purpose of life is to take back this goddamn shoddy merchandise and tell them off. Or your purpose in life, in the first instance, is some way, maybe I'll just get in the passing lane. i draw off their shoulder. Or by God, I wish I was in a damn semi. I'd just run over all these damn cars and get home. It's just whatever your attention is being held by. But ordinary people do not look into the matter of a purpose in life. And of course, we know that the world's full of people who will go to some so-called religious service periodically and listen to some entertainer get up and rant and rave about the purpose of life being whatever it says in whatever book he waves, the Koran or the bushels and baskets of Buddha or the Old Testament. But the people don't have a, there's no purpose in life. In one sense, they're better off. Because they, nobody, nobody worries about a purpose in life. But now on to us. Only people, as I usually call them, mystics, only a few people ever try to look into a certain matter or that certain matter. And if I was saying this with a civilian crowd, and they were listening for some reason, and I said, uh, I use the term sometimes, look into that certain matter. Does everyone know? Figure you know what I mean. Ordinary people, for the moment, they would think what you mean is the purpose of life. The question of what is the purpose of life? If I said, well, mystics, people with interests similar to mine, but our sort of people. There's this one question that is not commonly considered by humanity, but there's this certain question, this certain matter that we look into. That that is the whole point of being a mystic. And if... If I said that, ordinary people, if they heard it and paid it any attention, they would surmise that this matter that we look into is the question of what is the purpose of life. I just want to make sure that I'm drilling this and got your agreement that if you got the six billion ordinary people's attention momentarily and you said if there is one question, if there is a question of supreme importance, significance in the life of man, what would that question be? What do you think it would be? The six billion people, all the way from atheists to the orthodox. All people would say, well, if there is a question, if there is a one matter, one question of overriding, unequaled importance, I guess you're right, it would be, what is the nature of life? Or what is the purpose of life, I should say? From my view, maybe I should speak for myself. If I was talking to myself and answering that, that's not the answer. It certainly could appear to be, and it has certainly been claimed to be throughout the written history of this kind of activity, have been those well-known and unknown, but have left written comments saying that the whole purpose of this is to discover the purpose of life. And it sounds all right. It sounds more than all right. If you don't know any better, it sounds, by God, challenging. I say that that's not the question. I say that's not the matter that I finally looked into. I could agree that I spent the first part of my life. I would agree that the question seemed to be, what's the purpose of life? I say that the real question should be for the few, what is the purpose of this me that I feel that's in me? That's the matter. That's the matter into which I say that a real mystic eventually must look. Believing that there's a purpose to life. Being concerned over such a question, and I repeat, most people are not. It takes, being, it takes them being asked, or it takes some extraordinary negative conditions. And then they don't really ask, what's the purpose of life? They just begin to pray to whatever God their forefathers prayed to, you know, get me out of this jam. And then you might say, well, that makes you wonder about the purpose of life. And they go, yeah, boy, you're right. I ignored it. The purpose of life, I should have been living a better life, and this wouldn't have happened to me. I wouldn't have gotten Groover syndrome. I wouldn't have lost my business. But other than that, 
we start off on the wrong foot. We start off in a lesser position because mystics, people such as me, believe that there is a purpose to what... Believe originally there's a purpose to life. Believe that this activity in some way is an investigation. Uh, the reason I hesitated and stumbled, I was trying to back up my mind, you know, whether it's been 50 plus years, trying to think in what way I did consider this related to the words, the purpose of life. And I can't really say that I ever thought just that, but I'd certainly read those kinds of terms in philosophy books by then and by and mystical books, surely by then, that the whole point of this, that a man who does not understand the purpose of life is not a man. Or the man who does not understand the purpose of life is certainly not awakened. Or a man is not enlightenment, is enlightened unless he understands the purpose of life. Or that the proper life of a man is to struggle to understand, to discover the purpose of life. I would have initially accepted any of those. If I'd heard that the purpose of the great secret work, the great struggle to awaken, if the purpose is to understand the purpose of life, I would have said, certainly. It would just seem right. Because to people, I submit, wired up like us mentally, it just seems like an all-inclusive statement of the goal. To discover, to understand for yourself the purpose of life. I say that's not true. I say that you waste your time. I say that if you get partially awake, if you get up to the point that you're going to take what I say is the real investigation, then by then you must have, at least non-verbally, some sort of suspicion verging on comprehension that there is no purpose to life. If there is a purpose to life, I can tell you this, you'll never know what it is. It cannot be understood by the mind. One way to look at, well, getting way off the track, is the mind is too much the new kid on the block. The mind is too far removed, not only from the Big Bang, but the mind is too far removed from your stomach <laughs> and your lungs and your reptilian brain. Even your penile. <laughs> At any rate, no one ever considers that the matter that they should be investigating is what is the purpose of this me? What is the purpose of this me that I think drove me over here, that I believe will be driving me home, that I believe is sitting here talking? What is the purpose of that? Some you suspect I have, in the last three or four nights, I have been talking about one thing over and over and over and over and over and over. And trying to find other ways of putting it. That's why I opened up the news tonight. Maybe I, all of this, those first couple of lines, may now for more promise. It started out the first thing I wrote and read to you was all living entities are under pressure to stay alive. We all know that. You don't even have to think about it. Because all creatures, those without a cortex, those are simply a nervous system with nothing even resembling the mammalian brain. There is pressure for all living creatures. There's pressure for trees plants to stay alive things are just simply arranged that they will plants will struggle as we all know they'll move around trees they'll move around whatever's uh, in front of them to try and take in more sun sunlight there's pressure to stay alive all living entities are under pressure to stay alive the ones who think that is us experience the pressure both physically and mentally It would be easy then for me to have put, it would have been misguided, but it would have been easy and maybe expected for me to say, 
And for those wanting to awaken, one of these two pressures is unnecessary. And we're into the great realm to where that's true and it's not true. But I refrain from saying it immediately. Because to get by in the secondary world, there is a pressure that you feel mentally. And it's not caused by any sort of so-called psychological factors. And I say that this pressure to cut through some of these verbal fat, I say that this pressure from one view, this pressure to stay alive, I could say from one view is what people such as us have called being asleep. Not the physical pressure to stay alive, but two for the purposes of this conversation, to divide it into mental pressure and physical pressure, which is a fallacious division. In other words, it doesn't exist discreetly. But there is a mental pressure that is natural. It is as natural as the physical pressure. You know damn well that the physical pressure to eat, to stay within, sustain an environment wherein the temperature and the humidity is within a certain range that you don't have to think about, you physically know what it is. There's pressure for you to stay under conditions wherein the temperature over a prolonged period of time does not go below X degrees and does not go above X degrees. And there's physical pressure for you to eat only certain foods. No one has to give any thought to this. And from that, like everything else in the mind, from that physical pressure arrives, arises the son of that father is the mental pressure. The mental pressure is often mentioned and attacked by ordinary minds. But they only see, when it's attacked, they only see that the mental pressure, they only see the mental pressure when it is to them and their life reach some anomalistic and extraordinarily unsavory state or level. That is, they don't notice it. When they're, when they're all excited about uh, their girlfriend's birthday tomorrow, and they're constantly under pressure about all of the arrangements for the party, the surprise party, and the gift, the bracelet that's being engraved, and the jeweler swore he would have it engraved before he closed this afternoon at 5, and you keep looking at your watch and you're stuck in traffic. Should I call him while I get there? Will the caterer show up in time? That kind of pressure, if you could point out to a person, they would probably say that that is not necessarily an unpleasant pressure. It is a kind of positive daydreaming that they're thinking about how she's going to jump up and squeal and be so delighted when she gets the gift, she opens it, how happy she'll be, how surprised she'll be for all of her friends and some from out of town, old college roommates coming into town that she doesn't know about. But there is this pressure, this constant pressure It is, like I said, no one looks at it this way. But if I pointed out and I said that's pressure, I might get an ordinary person to admit, well, I guess that's a certain amount of pressure, but it would be pleasurable pressure. They would really want to argue the term, probably. And so we're not just concerned. But there is a kind of urgency. But at any rate, that's normal, as you know, that sort of thing. The only time that ordinary people really pick on this automatic flow of thinking the only time that they single it out as being uh, pathogenic or cartogenic, untoward is when, just in, from their view, in their personal case, uh, let's say that they become very upset about a medical exam that they're going to have, that they're afraid that they're very ill. And so they feel the pressure of that. And... It could be based on the fact that that illness runs in their family. They have a history of it. And so even if they go and have an exam and the doctor say, well, you show no signs of this disease, then they come back home and they say, well, they missed it. My father, my grandfather, my great-grandfather, they all died of it. I know damn well I got it. Someone could then point out, and the person might finally agree, that yes, this has become, I'm becoming 
somewhere between neurotic and psychotic, but I'm at least neurotic about this. Uh, so in other words, it has to be something astounding for them to say, yes, that kind of pressure is ill-founded. I should not be worrying all the time because I've just gotten a full exam, and the doctor says that my health, that I do not have any symptoms of that particular illness. They do not see what goes on in their head ordinarily, the point being, is anything out of the ordinary. They certainly do not see it as something worthy of their astute study. They certainly do not see it as something worthy of them being concerned over. I'm saying that that pressure from one view, that's just one model of it, that the ordinary pressure, the very things that the Sufis and the Zenists and all other stripes of mystics have always referred to as being asleep, uh, being identified with life, being trapped as opposed to being freed. It all, from one model, is no more than the ordinary pressure mentally that everyone feels, the pressure to stay alive. It just does not seem to be as direct as the pressure to eat when you're hungry or to eat or to get in out of elements when it becomes too cold or too hot past a certain point. But the rest of the time, what goes on in a person's mind, if an ordinary person even took account of it, they go, well, it's just there. And if I say, well, doesn't it annoy you? Don't, do you feel a sense of urgency? Do you, you said it doesn't really amount to much, but do you sense a kind of pressure that it puts on you? And you go, well, no. You know, not unless I'm all upset. Maybe you got real mad at somebody and can't get it off my mind, or I get real <clears throat> frightened about something and can't shake it, and I think about it, maybe then. But if I said, but just ordinarily, it doesn't bother you. You don't feel that it's some sort of annoying pressure. They would say no. And not that they're wrong. But I say from one model, from one view, I say that this whole thing about being asleep, the whole thing that annoys real mystics, from one view, we overdo it. We glamorize and say, well, I don't like that state of, quote, sleeping consciousness. Or I don't like being in a state of distracted or out of control consciousness. But being asleep, being deluded, being in the dark, that sounds much more glamorous. then it's nothing but an aspect of the pressure in all living creatures to stay alive. Nobody gets, nobody sees any worthwhile potential in that kind of view to try and look into it in that matter. And the day will come, sure with all of you, that you'll see, if you're not already feeling it, that something's wrong. And feeling like that something's wrong. And of all the sticky areas that I could get into verbally, that would surely rank among the world champs. <laughs> because certainly something's wrong. I struggle against it every day. <clears throat> but a long time, yeah, somewhere in the middle. After many, many years of accepting that, it took a gradual, very gradual, it would just keep slipping up on me that it, something was wrong with feeling like something was wrong. Because to begin with, I don't know about you, but I didn't find a great deal of difficulty. Still, you understand, I'm not using me as holding up as an example, but I can't believe that it's that been that difficult for you people to get over believing that something was wrong outside of me. Personally, just I got over that with no one's real help. I think I got over that before I ever had my first experience of, quote, of being awake. That I realized, and you can't explain it. I never tried to tell anybody. Well, like you, I tried to tell one person. 
I think we all try to tell one person. <laughs> Maybe we all try to tell the same person. <laughs> but at any rate, uh, I, I can't... It's just beyond being worthy of any notice to talk about or try to convince people that nothing's wrong in life. Which is saying, the first stage is to realize that nothing's wrong outside of you. Notwithstanding the fact that children are starving all over the world, people are dying, people are being brutally tortured right now, still by some sort of alpha male in some kind of pack of wolves somewhere in some locale on this planet. Storms are raging, dams are breaking, lightning's hitting, all kinds of things. Of course, it all amounts to one thing. People are dying. It's just that your number hasn't come up yet. You're holding a number, but people in front of you are dying. So we all know that all these things are going on. But I, I can't believe that any of you still have a problem with that. You can't discuss it. There's nothing to say. But there is nothing unjust. There is nothing out of the ordinary. To me, it's just simply this way. There's nothing wrong outside of me. I know that that's the way I originally looked at it. Outside of me, it's no concern. It wasn't justification. I just realized there's nothing wrong. I can't do anything about it. It has a life of its own. Even before I came up with my own term, it lasts a life. I just realized in early age that what's going on is what's going on. And it doesn't matter what people say. People whine, they complain, they bitch. And, of course, I'm inclined to. If I don't do it out loud, it's going in my head. But I, I simply realized there is nothing wrong. And that was the end of it. And that has not changed. I, well, it's just simply a fact. It's just ridiculous to look at the universe. Because people don't want to look at the universe. They want to look right down a piece of paper that says, you know, General so-and-so accused of killing 20 or more people this afternoon. You want to look there. Or you want to look down at your car with a dent in the door out in the parking lot that wasn't there when you went in. You want to look at it and go, my God, the injustice of life. What's the world coming to? People don't give a damn. They just bang your car. Holy shit. And all that. Outside of me, outside of you, I can't believe that any of you really believe that anything's wrong. It's not. And that's just it. So, I, I was never concerned. I never had to go through that. So I felt like, well, boy, I'm called. Now I realize that very few people, even before I knew much of anything, just when I was discovering so called mysticism, I realized that the ranks of mysticism, that it was still almost entirely people by those that claimed that the whole struggle to awaken was to be able to help your fellow man, to you know, aid the gods, aid, you know, higher conscious, the forces of higher consciousness. Someone would put that there are higher vibrations out trying to do good and straighten out the sorry mess here on this planet. And that was the purpose of the individuals, of us mystics, trying to awaken to add our little bit to the great positive creative force that would straighten out this mess. And all I could think was, well, holy shit, maybe I am on my own. <laughs> if that's what they believe, because I knew that wasn't true. I just, you know, there's no mess. You know why I started to point out? Notice, nobody looks at the universe, stares out and goes, God, the injustice of it all. <laughs> uh, you have to look. You can't look universally. You've got to look locally. And you got to look quite as locally to you. You've got to look to an area that interests you. And you didn't, as you know, your interest is natural. You didn't cultivate it. So you have to look real close at home. That is what I meant by the door of my car is dinged. God damn it. And then shake your fist. But you can't get up on a hilltop and look out into the sky and go, my God, what a hell of a mess. You know, who's going to straighten this thing out? So I had it narrowed down, which all of you, I assume it's down that point. So early on, as far as I'm concerned, there's nothing wrong with life. It just was not my problem. I didn't waste. It never hung me up. The problem was in me, my consciousness. Many, 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 a long time went on, and it would just gradually, it just kept coming to me, that as sure as I was, that you know, I wasn't right. I'm asleep. 
Sometimes I'm less asleep. Sometimes I can wake up. Sometimes extraordinary things happen for days at a time. I see clearly what's going on. I see clearly that I was correct and nothing's wrong. Anyway, but still, I can't do it all the time. I'm still weak. I still get distracted over the smallest of things. I can still go back asleep and as distracted and as stupid as I was when I started. I can do it at any given moment. So, obviously, something's still wrong. I mean, it's not in question, except it began to come upon me that something is wrong with my feeling that something is wrong. And I could say it was from that point, I didn't realize it, that I realized or I got off on the other road of that there's something to understand that you could be enlightened and still be confused as to what enlightened is. Still not understand it. There is something wrong with feeling like something's wrong. And I say feel like, I'm not trying to be core of that word because uh, you're convinced. It, it's not even in question. You would be doing this. No one would be doing this. Is it, you know, you read about it or hear about it, the man's asleep and could be awake. You go, that's it. So, you know that something's wrong. I'm asleep. I'm part of what they say is that humans are asleep, they're living in a dream, and a few people have some suspicion of it. And some people in the past have found how to awaken from this dream, and they've left traces or they've left instructions, and if you will follow them diligently, you will awaken. That is, that you will straighten out what's wrong in your case. It's not in question. I mean, when you read it, you either accept the fact that that's it. That's what's been bothering me. In other words, that's what's wrong with me. So you don't question it. You can't. If you didn't think something was wrong, you wouldn't try to straighten it out. But I'm telling you now, there is something wrong with the feeling that you have, anybody, that something is wrong. I wish there was a more subtle synonym for the word subtle. Well, I tried to give it to you tonight in a picture form. I'm not sure many of you got it. That sort of thing is what I meant by trying, trying to get to the bottom of all of this. It's like, you know what? I understand you're trying to follow a thread. And it's a figure of speech. Follow a thread. But then I put it into reality that if you were following a thread, because I think it originally came from a fairy tale or a fable of somebody that left a thread when they were all traveling on some great adventure and they laid out a thread they weren't supposed to leave any tracks and they laid out a real thin thread that only they knew about so that once they got through their adventure then they could get back through the woods and the forest and everywhere by following this thread so that was following the thread if I remember and so it became a figure of speech that you can mentally try to follow the thread of what someone's saying but I took the figure of speech and put it back, in a sense, both ways physically, that I said that trying to do this, trying to get to the bottom of it, or me saying that something's wrong with believing, with you feeling or believing that something's wrong with you, that trying to get to the bottom of that, when everybody feels there's something wrong, you can't deny it. And in a sense, there is something wrong. I don't like it when I go to sleep. I don't like it when I get distracted by something that I'm worried about I'm late and I turn around and walk into a door while trying to you know, get to the car to get somewhere on time. Screw the stock market crashing or you know, a hurricane on the way. To me, there's nothing more you know, formidable than that. There's nothing more despicable. But I'm telling you, something is wrong with believing that something is wrong. And getting to the bottom of it, I was trying to picture for you and I said it's like trying to follow a thread that's running through your hand literally so imagine there's a thread in your hand and if you got to imagine you're on your feet and you're doing that acting out that scenario from which I believe this came that you're actually trying to follow a thread that you found maybe that you didn't lay but there's a thread laying in the yard and you suspect it leads to a great treasure it leads to something or maybe it even has a sign follow this thread and you'll get to the bottom of things
Now, so you got the thread in your hand. And what are you going to do with the thread? You're going to put it between your thumb and your first finger. Am I not correct? And maybe you pull it with the other hand, but imagine this is one hand. That's where you would hold a thread. A thread, not a rope, a thread. And I said that trying to do this, trying to get to the bottom of me saying, for one example, that there's something wrong with you feeling like there's something wrong. You, me, and everybody past a certain point. That it's like trying to follow a thread that's running, th that's in your hand, but the thread, maybe if length won't do it, the thread is one millionth of a millimeter in diameter. And the two, two things is one millionth of a millimeter in diameter. It's actually a length. But, and it looks just like the thread. It looks just like a finger and a thumb. How about everybody do this? Put your finger and thumb together down your hand right now. And just rub them lightly together, the tips of your finger and thumb like I'm doing. And imagine, there's this thread. And we start off the picturization. Do it. Come on. And imagine, here's this thread that's passing through your palm, but now you've raised it up and you've got the thread that's between your finger and thumb. And you're lightly rubbing it together because it's only a millionth of a millimeter in diameter. I repeat, length is what I originally said, but maybe that's throwing you. So you've got some conception of a millionth of a millimeter, but there it is between your fingers, and th your finger and thumb, rub them together a little. You're not doing it. So you're trying to follow it. And I say it's only a millionth of a millimeter in diameter. So we already got you know, a real challenge there. And the other challenge is the thread looks just like a finger and a thumb. So there you are. Does anybody get it? You understand a millionth of a millimeter in diameter renders it constructively invisible. And there you are, though, following it, rubbing your thumb and finger together. And not only is it so small that it can't be seen, but worse than that, it's disguised. It has the appearance, and it looks just like a thumb and a finger. And so there you are working. Go ahead, rub them together. You're not doing it. So there you are working on it. That's trying to awaken while not knowing what you're doing. I set down my case again. That concludes this talk. Be sure to visit us at jancox.com where you can search through 3,000 talks for topics of interest or just leave us a message.